Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. On this episode, I had a conversation with Chloe Stillwell, and she is uh, currently, she writes about culture for Playboy magazine and covers politics for Paste magazine. She's a comedian. I've seen her do stand-up here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, She's very funny. Uh, And you can find her, if you you Google Chloe Stillwell, you can find a lot of the articles she's written over her career. Um, She's a very engaging writer. And every time I read one of her articles, I, you know, they really... It really made me think about everything that she's talking about. They made me delve deeper, which I appreciate in a writer. Um, we cover all sorts of topics on, on this conversation. I wanted to talk to her specifically about feminism. Um, it's a subject that I am fascinated by. And uh, so I, I wanted to get her thoughts on that because she certainly identifies as a feminist and has very... You know, she knows her mind, where she stands, as far as that goes. Um, You know, what's great about this conversation, too, is that... uh, So we had this... uh, We got together a couple months ago. In fact, in in the conversation, she references a a boyfriend that she no longer has. They've broken up since. And, uh, oh, and also... Uh, I have a moment uh, of brain freeze, and I cannot for the life of me remember a name. And the name I'm trying to remember is Congressman John Lewis. So when it gets to that part, that's that's who I'm trying to remember. Anyway, back to Chloe. Um, we, uh, we talk about all sorts of things uh, involving the world at large today and everything going on. And um, she and I don't always agree, but, you know, we really had a fantastic conversation Um you don't always have to agree with somebody to have a great talk. So, um, the usual stuff, heyhumanpodcast.com for links. I've put a bunch up there um, that have to do with what Chloe and I talked about. And um, it's a little bit of a longer episode. Um, I hope you hang in there. There We get pretty serious there toward the end. Some pretty heavy topic. But, um, yeah, I hope you hang in. <laughs> um Hey Human Podcast is on iTunes. Please rate and review if you get a chance. It's super duper helpful. Um, Helps get the word out. Every time somebody rates and reviews, it just moves up the iTunes chart that much higher. So it just, it shows iTunes, I guess, that people are listening, I assume. Um, So that'd be great if you would do that. Feel free to send me a note uh, at susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. I love to hear from you. And yeah, uh, the it's on. Uh, hey, human is on. See, iTunes and Podbean and Stitcher and uh, Blueberry. Um, I'm, am I missing one? I don't know if I'm missing one. But and then of course, HeyHumanPodcast.com. So help me get the word out. Tell all your friends. <laughs> Tell all your enemies. Tell everyone. Ah. Um, yeah. So anyway, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. It's late right now. It's it's nearly midnight here in Nashville. Um, I had to do some last minute switcheroos, and uh, so I'm up late as usual, <laughs> um, which is why I'm rambling as usual. Anyway, thanks for everything. I appreciate it. You guys are awesome. It's growing, and I couldn't be happier. So, without further ado, here is Miss Chloe Stillwell and Hey Human Podcast episode. Number 43.
Hi, Chloe Stilwell. Hi, Susan Ruth. Thank you for being on Hey Human Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Cheers. (laughs) I watched one of your... So, Chloe here is many things, um, a polymath, if you will. So, she is a stand-up comedian, an exceptional writer. I I label you a feminist because I find it an interesting thing to say that someone is a feminist. I'm like, well, who isn't a feminist? And then I think feminism is such an interesting weirdly uh, vilified word and you had mentioned in one of your I think it was in one of your articles you had said um, uh, and I don't even remember who it was that said it but something to the fact oh yes I do Aziz Asari that he said if you believe that men and women should be equal then you're a feminist yes and I thought well yeah that that makes total sense I don't know why it gets vilified so I would like to talk to you about that too I love talking about feminism yeah (laughs) so I figured um I actually just finished Lindy West's book. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with her? Oh, I will pass it on to you. It, it She's one of the first people who really made me feel like my in, inclinations in writing were okay. Like, she was very off the cuff, but smart at the same time. It was yeah. just, you didn't have to be super poetic and everything, and, yeah. and when you're talking about culture. And her book is a lot about feminism and how... They, vilif- they label us feminazis online when really, you know, when they're really confronted with the ideas, it, they say, oh, I don't hate women. I just have a problem with what you're saying. And it's like, well, I'm just saying that I'm a woman and I want to be equal. Why is that a problem? And someone said something to me one time. I forget who it was, honestly. I might have just read it online. But it was, if you have a problem with what I'm saying, do you have a problem with what I'm saying because I'm a woman or what I'm saying? Well, that is an interesting question because when men, uh, you know, and I love men and I think there's a confusion that people who are feminists somehow don't like men. And I don't know where that, I don't know where that happened, where that misconception happened. Surely there are quote unquote feminazis to take that term that you just used, although it's a weird mix of terminology, but Surely there are people who are very intense on their belief system and maybe are aggro about it or whatever, but you can say that about any system of thought. It's true. I mean, I I read once about... I'm a carrot Nazi. <laughs> Fucking love carrots. You know? Oh, they it's like, love it. They love that term online. Yeah, it's just a strange thing to me to, to... And they do... I mean, my biggest problem with feminism is that it are the factions within it that prevent women from gelling on one platform together Mm -hmm. and I think that does give men and people who are against feminism leeway to criticize the movement like I read an article in the New Yorker a couple years ago this I forget who the writer was but she did an amazing job profiling these feminists who run a yearly conference in California I think and they have a very strict no trans women policy really, and that's really divisive in the feminist community and like I see both sides when Caitlyn Jenner got woman of the year last year I was bothered by that because this is a person who's benefited from male white male privilege their entire life and to get until very recently and to get woman of the year I, I just, it bothered me. The thing that I find fascinating about that subject, about people getting mad about uh, Caitlyn Jenner, the thing is about a transgender person, if, if I may speak for, you know, transgender people, which I can't because I'm not, but I do have a penis in a drawer. I don't know if that counts. It doesn't count. Anyway, um, is that Bruce Jenner, his whole life, was a woman. Right. 
And so it, he, and in fact, it isn't always, in, in my mind, this is how I see it. In my mind, it isn't suddenly the man, Bruce Jenner, became Caitlyn Jenner, the woman. I think the whole time, Bruce Jenner was Caitlyn Jenner, the woman. I completely agree with you on that. So it's, but it, it no, it is. It's and there a are really of women, gray area. Yeah, and there's plenty of women that deserve that award, for sure. There's lots of wonderful, exceptional, but maybe the idea is, and again, speaking for no one, because I have no idea, but it's that maybe it's like, well, to give transgender women a voice, this is a very high profile ex- person. No, and I thought it was beautiful at the same yeah. time. I get your point, and it's just at the same time, it's kind of infuriating. I agree. I can't imagine the absolute emotional hell and turmoil that she went through sure. her whole life sure. as Bruce Jenner. Sure. But at the same time that that was happening, she also was benefiting from white male privilege. You totally know, that she wasn't having to wade through rape culture and right. and all of that. And I just I don't agree with feminists excluding trans women yeah. or any gender not binary from any feminist space. <laughs> the list is very, the list is large, it's but any large. identifying or gender queer or what have you, I don't think they should be excluded from feminist spaces. Yeah. But the award, really. That was when I, just, I realized, I was like, I don't think I have a straight opinion on this. Yeah, <laughs> like, cause nice I, pun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's, it, to me, this, this, this is, there is, this is literally the land of gray. It is. It's, to have a black or white opinion, it just seems... It seems like it's an impossibility. From my brain, it's an impossibility. Well, that's the best way to take it is like, let's talk. Okay, this made me uncomfortable. Right. You feel this way about it. Let's talk. Yeah. You know, instead of but just immediately going for it. Yeah. Yeah. It is in a lot of... There's so much infighting in feminism. Like, there's all that drama with the Women's March, which I'm going to. I'm oh. so excited. Oh, right on. On the 21st. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I felt really conflicted on it because I am so excited to go put my body in the space of protest with other women the day after inauguration. But all of a sudden, it got announced, and I was so excited because I think we've all had a lot of anger and anxiety and fear, and it kind of just gave me something to look forward to and to feel like I was going to be able to do something. And then all of a sudden, I just start reading this flurry of terrible press about how White women have co-opted the struggle of black women. And I do understand the name choice was awful. They, they should have done their research on that one. Yeah. And I get that part. But at the end of the day, I was just like, can we all just go and march? Like, right. And they've done a lot of work to reorganize and, and diversify the organizing team. I didn't, And I agree that having a whole team of only white women organizing that march was wrong, too. Yeah, sure. But I'm like, now that they have shifted focus, can we all... Yeah come together because yeah. we need everyone and no one wants to have a white women march <laughs> no and no. it's not the end maybe of the a couple game. counties down in Pulaski Tennessee they would love a white women's march but that's <laughs> no not offense it. to Pulaski <laughs> well, nobody gets that reference we, we here in Tennessee know that Pulaski Tennessee is the birthplace of the KKK so that's why it's a thing yeah that's the state we're in but yeah. Nashville's cool Mm-hmm. Don't move here, though. <laughs> <laughs> plenty, plenty of people have moved here already. Um, yeah, it's 
See, now, I knew that talking with you was going to... Really quick, let me just finish your, your accolades, too, because I wrote oh. them all down. So you write for the Frisky, XO Jane, Matt Adams, which I'd never seen before, and went and watched, and it's very funny. Thank you. Um, narrative, narratively, mm-hmm. I think I'm saying that right, Salon, which everyone's read that, um, you were a UCB trained stand-up comic. You're a badass. I mean, you do all these things, and, and you have delightful posts on the Facebook Thank you. You know, lately they've been more stressed out, of course, given, of given the political environment and that, you know, and, and all that. But you have made me laugh so hard I've cried before on oh, your post. So that makes it's very me good. Happy. Yeah. So if you have not checked out Chloe Stillwell, Google her name and and check out uh, her articles and stuff. They're very very funny, and I'll put links as I always do. Thank on, you. That's on so the sweet. Website, so, but yes, back to the topic of the though, because so like the. The Million Women March and the idea of, like, okay, now the African-American women are like, uh, what? You know, and, and all that. Or the African-American people. I mean, regardless. So, it's a funny thing to me. I am not. Clearly, I'm a white girl, you know. So, again, it's you take everything. I almost feel like then I'm not allowed an opinion. But I am allowed an opinion because I'm a human being. So, I think, why can't... Like, I wish we would all just figure out how to be like, that's great! A Million Women Marching! you know, appropriate our march and cause it's for a good thing and it's for a bonding, lovely thing, but there's always that and I, diversiveness and it's like, Oh God, we'll never figure it out. It's I feel like. true. And I get it. I, I, I totally get the point that a lot of white feminists, they don't read, they don't understand what intersectionality means. They have never read any feminist theories. They worship at the altar of Gloria Steinem, which right. I love her, but she can be problematic in terms of, a divide between race and, and gender. And I read an article you wrote about that, too. Oh, yeah, I did yeah. write about that. Yeah. Um, I did my homework. <laughs> um, but she uses that that saying about... Um, what, what, what is the saying? Uh, <laughs> if men could get a... No, if men could get pregnant, abortions would be like an everyday... I don't know. I don't, I'm totally paraphrasing, but... I actually got so impassioned on the topic, I forget what exactly the quote is. I'm Googling it. But and it's and it's been attributed to Gloria Simon. I always thought she said it. And then you wrote this article saying, oh, wait, hold on. It's attributed maybe to this other woman. To Florence Kennedy, who's yeah. a, a brilliant feminist. And, yeah. and I mean, and that's a really good example is so many white feminists would have trouble coming up with Florence Kennedy's name. And that I've is never a heard problem. Yeah. And I understand that point. I guess I personally just wish that white feminists would educate themselves a little bit more and listen and also like get involved with queer politics and understand just intersectionality in general. But then also my wish for everyone is that once that threshold has been crossed and you're interacting with people who may not be for all intents and purposes, fuck this term, but woke. Can I cuss on your podcast? I think you can. Okay. But are ready to come to the table listening. And I'm just like, once everyone's got their thinking cap on and is putting, giving up feminists of other cultures and ethnicities and gender identities and queerness the microphone, can we all be together at that point? Nope. Guess what? that's not going to happen. Yeah. Human beings, by their very nature, try and figure out how to be separate. It's a strange... It's a good point. It's a strange thing. It's, it's, I don't know, it's just a biological drive to pick out whom we decide, who we decide is our, 
is our pod, and then that's our pod, and then everyone else is wrong or different or strange or they're fine but don't want to hang out with them or whatnot. It's just that weird thing. And and we're not the only species that does it, but it's certainly, we're really good at it. We are We're really, really good, good at, at pointing it. at the other. That that phrase woke it cracks me up. I the first time I heard woke, I'm like woke, and because I'm you know have my head in a book most of the time, I have no idea what is going on in the real world of <laughs> pop culture and all that kind of stuff. So I looked it up. I was like, oh woke, doesn't that just mean you know you're paying attention and maybe you read a thing here or there and you listen to what people have to say? It's funny that we had to give it a word where it used to just be. Well, that's another thing. It's co-opting. I mean, that word started... Most of these, like, buzzy pop culture words, especially when they apply to social justice at this point, are stolen from black culture. And, like, there's a whole... I am not an expert on this, but it's black Twitter. And it is this subculture of brilliant cultural commentary where yeah, I've read they the, play I with language yeah, and But the English did that way steal back when. It. But see, are, is the African-American culture the first culture to do that? No, of course not. The, the Cockneys have been doing that forever, right? In, in, the, in, yeah. in England, they had, there's that whole weird rhymey language. Right. That is, so I, I, that whole appropriation thing is very confusing to me, too, because I'm like... When does it stop being, and again, white girl, what the hell do I know? But when does it stop, but just as an, just using my brain, I'm like, when does it stop being an homage or a, a, gro- a growth spurt or an embracing? It's, it's funny that appropriation has this negative connotation when you could also look at it as like, oh, well, I really revere this. And I'm, and so I'm absorbing it into my own. Is it? You and are, then it's like a weird racism for white people because why are white people not allowed to have cornrows? I don't understand what the problem is, you know. And it's like, again, white girl having these questions, but I, I don't understand. Yeah. Also, I looked up the quote. You were right. It is. It's if men could get an abortion, if men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. Yeah. There you go. Um. For the listeners out there, that's the Florence Kennedy quote. Yeah. Um, that Gloria Steinem is sort of... What ticked me off and why I wrote the piece that I did is that <clears throat> there was a Guardian profile of Gloria Steinem. She had written a new book. And literally the headline was that quote. Mm. And then when you read, the, it was part profile, part interview, and they included the part where they discussed the quote. And it was just maddening. She didn't even mention... That's actually attributed to my friend. Or, you know what? I was marching with my friend, Florence Kennedy, at that time, and we had discussed that topic, and that's kind of attributed to both of us. You and know, at least me, that's make not a, wink at it. But that's not like a black-white thing. That's an egotistical thing to me. I, for me, because I'm, I'm in the world of musicians, as you know, and a, a lot of songwriters will be like, oh, yeah, that was my idea. That was not your idea. But that's it. Nobody ever attributes things it to what It is ego, to. but when it comes down to black feminist versus white feminist... It is about race because, because that, no one knows who Florence Kennedy right. is because they don't care about black feminism. Totally, totally. And I think that speaks to what you're saying about cultural appropriation. Cultural appropriation has bothered me for a long time. I've actually tried to get multiple editors to let me write about it, and they're like, eh, I don't want to get trolled in my inbox next week on that one. Like, let's hold off because it is a hot button topic. Yeah. I do, I have moments where I hate when people get so flustered about cultural appropriation because I agree with you it's like how do you know when it's one well and it it bolds those lines of separation where you say okay well 
do you want white people to keep just being insufferable in their own little waspy boxes forever? Right. Or are we allowed to enjoy your culture? And I think the line that it's another gray area is what's the difference between enjoying and stealing? And I think white people, because we have stolen everything for all of time. Sure. That is a blurry idea for us. We say, oh, I didn't steal it. I'm just enjoying it. But they're, I mean, like, I feel like with the Kardashians, I mean, they really. But they're Armenian, right? So technically they're more black than white. Are they not? I mean, I guess they're, they are not white. I mean, the Jenners are. I mean, if you look at Kylie Jenner, you know, like she, that is like a very big appropriation of, of a culture that isn't necessarily what she was born into, but at the same time, she also though has a lot of African American friends. So when is it? When is it? When are you not? You know the influence. That's all I'm saying. It's like this weird, and I don't really, I don't know what goes on in the Kardashian world at all. I, I see pictures on the internet, and I see that they they date people that aren't of their race, which I think is great. Uh, you know, for me, I no, love that speech that. in Bullworth. Did you ever see that movie? No. Oh my god, it's so great! And in that, in, there's a great speech in it, and Warren Beatty, who's the main character, has this whole monologue about how he just wishes everyone would just fuck everyone else and just get it over with, so that we all look the same. But then, of course, what would happen is we would find something else to hate each other for. But it's a good, it's a good yeah theory <laughs> for me. I wish everybody would get along because because I'm sad that everybody doesn't get along. It's true. I mean, I don't. I guess. Cultural appropriation is can be very sinister. I think it's that at the end of the day, if you're at least grappling with the idea and what it means, you're at least not just being like a closed-minded white person who's like, that's stupid. We can't steal culture because that's what we've built an empire off of is stealing the best parts of other people's cultures right. and enslaving them and breaking them down to the point where they can't threaten us. Sure. But... But that makes me wonder, because when I'm wearing my turquoise jewelry, am I appropriating Native Americans? Like, or am I just going, God, I really love that ring. I'm going to wear it. I mean, I think there's a difference between wearing clothing and, like, taking a language away. Like, that's really, like, turquoise doesn't bother me. Cornrows, quite frankly, don't bother me. But what fleek and woke and those words bother me, because you're taking a language that people have created to kind of cope with pop culture and have their own area in it. And then when the sorority girls at Alabama are posting videos about eyebrows on fleek, like, what has happened here? You know, we have co-opted something that was empowering black women. Yeah. And now a bunch of racist sorority girls don't even know that that's where it came from. Because why would they care? And then to me, that's this great irony where I'm almost thinking, ha ha, for the sorority girls, like, guess what? If they are, in fact, racist. That's then We can't true. say that all sorority girls are racist. The topic is so fascinating to me. I, it really is. And again, the ideas of using these words, like... that come from another culture. I mean, half of the English language has been stolen from French and Spanish and Latin. All white people, right? Yeah. Well, 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 Spanish. Spanish, but that's a different story than Africa. (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure. It's, you know, I have my DNA testing done and I have a percentage of you know, Neanderthal and a percentage of Asian. And I'm like, oh, so I mean, I get to say whatever I want now. You know, it's like, nobody will get mad at me. I mean, I think it wouldn't be such a hot button topic if this conversation was happening 
on a broader level. But yeah. instead, it's happening in rooms like this yeah. with two people who, quite frankly, I mean, like, you and I, at the very least, care and give a shit and yeah. want to have this conversation. Yeah. And all this vitriol about safe spaces and all this stuff. It's like, you guys are the ones who want safe spaces because you don't want to be confronted yeah. with your totally. own stuff. I mean, it, yeah. you all know... All that stuff, I think, whenever... Uh, whenever I see people making fun of, of the quote-unquote safe space or the safety dependent, I think, well, why are you making fun of them? Why, why are you taking your time to make fun of people who just want space to be left alone and or whatever? Why can't we just live our lives? Right. And it's just, I'm always fascinated by what makes somebody mad enough to start posting these things that are to me just bully energy that's all it is it's just bully energy and both sides are guilty of it in their own Mm -hmm. little ways you know but i mean god i got called libtard a thousand times and i just laugh it makes me laugh what did they call you a libtard libtard but what's funny about that is i have my political beliefs and my you know socioeconomic beliefs and my spiritual beliefs all this stuff it's it's a mishmash because i'm again a human being and you know i live in a very big world. So my thought processes is goes all over the place to love me in. And I'm like, it makes me laugh that they think I'm being insulted by that, first of all. And and I would think that if yeah. I, first of all, yeah, I, just, I just don't get it. It just frustrates me to, to, to high heaven that I can't explain to these people, like, A, you're not hurting me. B, it's such a weird word. Cool out. <laughs> yeah, and it's such a weird word. It's like, who came up with that one? And I don't know. They don't understand that they're just, they're part of the problem. Well, yeah, somebody would need a safe space if you're sitting there calling them names all the time. And would you call me the N-word if I was a black person then? Because It to escalates me, to that point quite frequently. I know, but to and me, it's like, I heard somebody say, oh, it was Farrell. Uh, that's whose name I never quite know how to say right. Farrell, right? He was Farrell. Yeah, he was on Ellen, and they didn't let that woman, um, this African-American woman, a gospel singer, she was going to be on the show. And then right before she's going to be on Ellen's show, she had a whole big thing about um, being uh, that being gay was immoral and gross and a sin and all this stuff. So Ellen's like, nope, don't get to be on the show. Fair enough. I, absolutely, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, and Pharrell said, look, you know, take out the word gay and put in the word black or woman or, you know, whatever. And then you start to see, like, these are not... These are not kind words. These are not Jesus words. These are mean words. I yeah. thought, yeah, that's a really good point. I also, I mean, it's just the... To me, the cognitive dissonance and just lack of of rationality to also not make the leap for conservatives that that language is one step away from violence. Is what really gets me. I agree. It's with you. not just a word. Yeah. You know, it is inspires danger. I mean, most of my dad's gay. You sure. know, my dad. Yeah, love your dad. Most of my friends, my close friends, are gay men, and I'm always afraid of them for them. Sure. Because, and just see, I mean, and and to be frank, I mean, we have a lot of discussions within our friend group because they, for the most part, are white gay men. So then there's that area of grayness there of like they've experienced white male privilege but they're also gay and but I think these conservatives don't realize because they live in these bubbles of homogenous heteronormativity that 
there are people out there who are even white who are afraid to walk down the street. Sure. And that is when a word is a big deal. Look, I say and, it all the time. I do. I, I don't believe half the stuff Trump said he believes. I think, but the problem is, is that he, to me, a president of the United States of America has no business inciting the kind of people that do believe that stuff. No one has any business right. doing that. But, it's, but, but yet alone, yeah. But the president of the United States, it's like, it's this disgusting. is too much. And so for me, I'm like, look, see, do I think Trump believed any of that stuff? Maybe not. I mean, he's been a Democrat his whole life, right? So all of a sudden he's this like poster child for David Duke. I mean, that's not even logical. Obviously, he's pandering. Mm-hmm. And and it works. It totally it works. Work. Never before, and I've, you know, been around for a handful of presidential elections. I'm no spring chicken. And never before had the the day after the election, I knew what what was happening around 11 o'clock at night. The night of the election, I knew it was happening. Yeah. And in the morning, I picked up my phone and I texted a half dozen to a dozen of my friends who are people of color, gay, my transgender niece, like all these people. And I said, are you okay? If you need me for anything, some of my Muslim friends, you know, it, if you need me for anything, I'm here for you. Never before have I had to make that text after a presidential election based on the president yeah and it's like that's not okay so in a world in a world (laughs) where the i called trump the bird dog i think he you know in this weird one way and i've talked about before on other episodes but in this one way thank god this guy this came up and said all these things and all these people started screaming yeah we hate this person or that person or go back to there, you know, you're gross or whatever it was. He bird dogged a nation. And so all these fucking pheasants flew out into the skies screaming their vitriol. And now you know where they all are. You know who they are. Because before we were all asleep thinking that, oh no, we've come so far. Have we? I don't think so. You know, we have in some ways. I mean, thank God women can vote. African-American people are considered a whole human. That's something, you know, like yeah. all this stuff. But for me, a white girl, again, I look at it and go, God, we haven't come so far at all. And I went to go see um, that uh, congressman, whose name, of course, is Casey, so I sound like an idiot. Um, he just came here and gave a lecture. It's awesome. Uh, he was one of the the original guys that like sit, were at the counters here in Nashville. Oh. Uh, John... Oh, why am I... Huh? No. No. John Lee Hooker? No. (laughs) Just kidding. I have his book and it's great. Uh, And I don't know why I can't think of his name. I'll have to say... I can't either. He let the sit-in. Yeah. He was a freaking awesome dude. And, and, And I went to the lecture and it was incredible. And, um, I was so impressed that there was... It was packed. It was standing room only. I didn't even know he came to town. Yeah. Oh, so Where was it? It was at MLK. Nashville talk. Moving on. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's fine. And uh, anyway, he, uh, the first thing he said is, I know it seems like we haven't come very far, but we have. He said, I'm standing here before you now talking to a room full of people. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. So in my mind, my, you know, I don't see the progress in some ways. And in fact, it looks like we've gone backwards now, officially. I mean, at the same time, I think there's a... 
a flip side to that point, which doesn't necessarily disagree with it, but it's just kind of another the other side of the same coin, which is a lot... I read a lot of, like, black and queer and Muslim opinions after the election that kind of came from the point of, white people, we told you so. Like, we have been telling you that this country is still... Yeah. Violent and hateful yeah. and exclusive to white people yeah. for years, and you didn't want to listen. You needed rallies of them screaming and shaking their guns to figure Which it out. Which is the one reason I think that Trump was a good thing. In, I know that sounds crazy, but that's what I mean by that. It's no, we like, need to confront a problem yes, head on now. because we were asleep. Yeah. We were all asleep thinking everything's fine, we're moving forward. Or liberal white people were asleep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and that's what bothers me. I mean, I've always said if liberals were as loud and not militant in the sense of gun violence, but just organizing the same way they were in that the 60s. these Republicans are, I mean, they get shit done at the end of the day. And we, I mean, the grand, what gets me more than anything, though, is just the grand hypocrisies of the call for tolerance now of these racist jackasses. Who have built? What do you mean? Families on intolerance. Well, there's call just this, for tolerance. This whole message coming from the GOP and Trump himself, and then now we all just need to put our differences aside and move forward. And it's like, oh, what? <laughs> you didn't want to put our differences aside mm-hmm. and move forward ever, but now that you, at the very least, you made yourself known as as a racist, and if not more. And people are pushing back against you. You want tolerance? Oh, that's cute. That's adorable. Yeah. And then, like, I, I saw a meme the other day that was just, like, they freak out when a, a cup in December says Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas. I've you never know, understood that argument either. I haven't either. They, but, again, there's people just want to be mad about stuff. And then they yeah. get lumped into... I I get very uncomfortable with labels. Even... even Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. Because, again, I believe that the gray area has the most information. There are certainly hardcore on every side. Right. But, um, like, I can't call every conservative a racist. I know that. Because they're not. And just like I can't call every... I know some racist Democrats. (laughs) You know, they exist. Even if it's subtle. Certainly sexism is all across the board. You know, it's just... A fucking weird world, man. It is a weird it's hard world, but at the same time, I just I feel like that's in a way. I mean, it's just that's another kind of side of safe space or like safe language. Like I went to the rally for Philando Castile back in, gosh, June in, in downtown Nashville, and Black Lives Matter here in Nashville did it. It was a beautiful rally. I mean, they they had amazing speakers and then and it was packed and I just and I also saw so many of my friends which was mm-hmm. like a great feeling to go and be like oh I know so many people here I am so glad we are all showing up on a Saturday to do this because it's important yeah and um then everyone got in a huge circle and held candles and yeah. like held moments of silence it was beautiful but one of the speakers I wish I remembered her name I know she's at the forefront of the Black Lives Matter movement here in Nashville but she gave this powerful speech about shouting your biases. And instead of saying, you know, like, 
well, I'm not going to call everyone this. You know, it's like we do, we need to shout these words and shout your own. And when you hear someone else's, be like, okay, I hear you. Like, right. now what do we do? I don't know. I just, it was a really moving, it also was a very emotionally charged moment. But I don't know. I had never thought of it that way because we spend so much time, I think, covering it up or explaining or yeah. justifying. And yeah. she was just very, was just like, no, bare minimum, just shout. You know, I am afraid of Muslims. Shout it out loud and hear yourself say it instead yeah. of being like, oh, no, I don't, I don't have problems with all Muslims, but my neighbor, you know, he, like, smokes weed and the, the smell makes me scared and he might have guns. You know, like, yeah. people just spend so much time talking around it instead of just saying it. And I was just, like, standing in the crowd, like, what an amazing point. Yeah. Like, fear is so powerful. It's it such is. A, and, and fear and politics have, you know, been bedfellows since the dawn of time. I mean, that's just... It works. Fear works. But I, I'm, I'm constantly saying, if you're afraid of a Muslim, go to the mosque and, and go to one of, the, one of the services. If you're afraid of a Catholic, go to a Catholic church and sit there and, and absorb it in. Mm-hmm. Anything that you fear, read about it. Learn about it. You know, Because learning about something takes away all the fear because your brain will come up with all sorts of things. I mean, I know people that think that my Muslim friends will get a phone call on, you know, the bat phone and then slip my wrist just by virtue of being Muslim. It's ridiculous. It is. It's absolutely insane. But these people believe that because they've been taught to fear, you know, but fear and religion, the Spanish Armada ran around killing people left and right for their religion. Guess what? It was a Christian religion. People have been killing in the name of religion for a long time. Forever. Yeah. Most likely. Yeah. I I interviewed um, a Grand Dragon for the KKK. What? Yeah. So by the time this interview, yours and, and I don't like to call them interviews, by the time this conversation is aired, I will have already posted... The interview with uh, Richard Nichols, who is a Grand Dragon of the KKK. Self-admittedly just says, like, I am yeah. a Grand yeah. High Wizard of Racism. Sorry, I don't care, guys. Yeah. No, I mean, that's... I mean, I think they are called... That's the other name for it. There's the Grand Dragon, Grand Wizard. I think that's the same thing. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. I, I, mean, I was making that from up my, my head. From, from my understanding, um, the Grand Dragon... So there are Grand Dragons, which is the head of every little sect within every town, right? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, yes. I can't wait to listen to that conversation. I honestly didn't realize that they were open about it. They aren't. It's called the Invisible Army or Empire. Invisible Empire. And, um, uh, but he himself, personally, he is open and honest. He's proud of who he is and, and all that. So, it was interesting because when I was getting ready to go talk to him, some of my friends were really freaked out. And, uh, and... One of my friends is like, how can you give that guy a voice? And I said, because his voice is my voice. His voice is your voice. It's the same voice. I said, yeah, he wears the outfit. And he, you know, hates Jews and wants to live separate from anybody that has any kind of shade different than him and all that kind of stuff. But when you make fun of, you know... The black lady for having the funny clothes, or when you, do you I know what I mean? disagree with you I'm, wholeheartedly. Yeah, I was hoping you would. So, I, <laughs> but let me finish. So, okay. So I was like, you know, when when the 
the white girl walks down the street late at night and the African-American guy goes by her, you know, she doesn't know he might be a doctor or a lawyer or something, but she holds her purse a little tighter or whatever. That's this weird, subtle racism that we've been raised up in. That subtle bigotry or, or oh my gosh, I should be scared of this person or that person. And when I was talking to him, it was my hope that in talking to him that people might go, oh my God, you know, it's not like he's that much... It's not that far of a cry. If I had been raised up in his family, I might have been just like him. If he was raised up in my family, he might have been just like me. Do you know what I mean? So I do understand that argument. Yeah, it's not a far... It's but that's a, a white argument because you're both white. I, I suppose. How is it a white argument? Because you can't say that about black people or Muslim people. You can't be like... Oh, well, we would be the same if we were raised in this. I mean, because really... I can say that, though, because if I... I mean, and I have said that. If I... For example, the argument of, like, oh, well, all Muslims are terrorists, which is a ridiculous argument, first of all. But second of all, if I was raised as a jihadist, let's say. Let's say I'm a, a young uh, boy raised in a jihadist... Okay, so in your argument, you're suggesting that you're not you. You are just another... I'm a human being. You're a human being. Yeah. Okay, that's the difference. I'm saying as a white person, you can't argue that you could have been raised in a black family and you'd be the same person, or if a black person oh, was no, raised in your family, they would be the same person. No, okay. no, no, no. That okay. wasn't my argument. No. Uh-uh. I mean, I just... When you say <laughs> his voice is our voice, I just think that's really reductive, because at the end of the day, he is a white man... Who has had privilege and power. I mean, you have to look at where the power is and where the privilege is. And he is espousing what we know from evidence of what the KK does to be actual violence towards minorities. Yeah, and we talked about that. And his voice is not our voice. His voice is the voice of a racist. And I think when you say we're all the same, racist, black, whatever, we have to accept each other, it's... No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I don't want to accept him. I have no, I have no plans on accepting then him. Then why am I supposed to agree that his voice is my voice? What I mean by that is that as a, he's a human being on this planet, and it's so easy to put him over here and be like, oh, all the KKK people are over here. We know what they do. We know who they he are. He put himself over No, no, there. I, I agree. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not maybe making sorry, myself Sorry, I get clear. the KKK really disturbs no, me. No, it's okay. It disturbs <laughs> me, too. You should. I was nervous going in there. Yeah. Understandably, I mean, I was like, I don't know what I'm walking into. I've, no oh, idea. Gosh, I've never, yeah. as far as I know, I've never met somebody in the KKK. But now after that conversation, I'm like, I probably know a handful of people in the KKK and have no idea. Right. After that conversation, that made me aware of that. So for right, right then and there, that conversation to me was super valuable. Because what I mean by that is like, here are these people. Not that we put them there, but that they're there, right? This, mm-hmm. this group, this hateful separatist group. Um, and, uh, sorry, my, my train just went off the track cause I'm thinking about like 20 different things at once about this, but th- I think that many people think, oh, well they're over here and they're crazy. So we don't really have to think about them cause they're over here and they're crazy. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. Let's shine the light on them because they're over here and they're crazy and you need to know where they are and what they think and what they're saying because... Okay, that I agree with. Yeah, that, so that's why I did it. And that's what I mean by they're me, they're you. Because it's like they're another... They're a being on this planet. They and have just as much access to everything, everything. we do. I mean, that yeah. I 100% agree with. Yeah. Because, I mean, they... 
to me are quite frankly dangerous. I can't. It blows my I mind that, that we live in a society where it's legal to be an open KKK member. Like how? Well, I'm sure he's. In fact, I know he's on watch. He told me he's on watch list. So good. Yeah. That makes me feel a little bit. I had. Better. To, I, I just applied for a global entry. What and it's um, it means that you're a known flyer, so you can you can breeze through all the oh. stuff. They know who you are. The FBI or whoever it is has their homeland security has gone through your records. They've they're cool with you. They're they're cool with me, right? So, but what's funny is before my appointment, you know, I was researching the KKK <laughs> and like, and you know Nazis and like all this stuff and reading all these articles. I thought. Well, if they get my web browser, they're going to be like, what is going on with this girl? This girl's trying to check us out. Yeah, this is so weird. But anyway, that's what I mean by that, is that I want to know... Uh, some of my friends during the election were like, why don't you block all your your Trump people, all those Trump people? I was like, I want to know where everyone is at all times. I I feel better about that. Yeah. No, I think... No, I get that. I also get, though, any other person who is in a little bit more... Of a less empowered situation saying, I don't want to hear that. Yeah, well, and then they have the choice to not hear that. Yeah, but I felt the same way of, I want to hear it. I want to know what the fuck people are saying. Yeah, it's important to me. Does he identify as a neo-Nazi? He does not. Okay. No, I asked him about that, too. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I asked the the former neo-Nazi, because I interviewed him a week later... Wow. What his viewpoint was on the KKK. So we talked about that as well. It's so freaking fascinating. And the thing is, is it's like, you can read all the history you want about it. You can read what everybody has to say about everything else. But until you're across from the person and asking them questions, you know, you don't really truly know. You know what I mean? That's true. And on one level, I mean, one guy, racism and, and xenophobia and... Anything that falls into mis- misogyny, it's systemic. You know, it yeah. it's a cyclical system. So, in what you're saying, I do agree in that, like, a lot of times when you sit down someone who holds those beliefs, you can disempower and disemvow that by just having human conversations. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily change the fact that it's written into our constitution for the most part that yeah, these things yeah. exist. I know. It's, it's, he talked about the Constitution, too. I was like, you mean the Constitution, you know, pre... Like, what year is your cutoff date? Because, <laughs> you know... It's just... It, and then again, my dad and I had this great conversation. We um, we were talking about... Um, I'm not even sure what got us on the subject, but it ended up being... He started talking about black the Black Lives Matter. He had seen something... Uh, maybe in Seattle, he might have. I think maybe he was driving by and he saw somebody holding a sign saying "All Lives Matter." He's like, "What do you think about that?" I said, "Well, I think it's kind of a slap in the face to the people who are trying to say Black Lives Matter. I think it's like this weird sort of no one's seeing that all lives don't matter. That's not what the point. It, the, there, there's like that's not even scratching the surface of what's going on here." And he said, "Well, do you? Th- this is what I love about my dad because he takes me down these rabbit holes." He said. Well, do you believe that all lives matter? I was like, well, of course I believe that all lives matter. He said, do you really? I said, what do you mean, Dad? I mean, you know, he's, he's goading me. And he mm-hmm. says, well, do you think a child molester's life matters as much as, like, an Albert Einstein? I was like, oh, fuck, Dad. <laughs> like, okay, let's go. So we had this really fascinating conversation. And, and, and it all, to me, it all ties in because when I was talking to the uh, neo, former neo-Nazi guy, 
Brian, he said that there was a, a case when he was growing up, when he was really in the skinhead thing, and uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a child molester got off on a technicality and got out, and the cops called his little group of neo-Nazis and said, "It's where this guy lives," and they went and they beat him within an inch of his life. And I said, "Whoa, that's really intense." So. Does a child molester who got off on a technicality deserve to be, you know, and it's that weird thing because, you know, child molesters in prison get the shit beat out of them. But then again, if you go deeper into it, a child molester probably got molested as a child, right? So then when does your humanity, it's such a, this is the stuff that keeps me up at night. I'm not even kidding. Like I go down these rabbit holes in my brain. I'm like, well, yeah, but you have to have. In a way, there's as a human being, you have to have empathy and sympathy. But do you? Because he's an adult, he can find other outlets for his proclivity to children. So he should do that as a grown man. But he can't because there's something wired in his brain. Does he deserve to be beaten within an inch of his life by a neo-Nazi if he got off on a technicality? I can't lie. I have considered the idea of beating the shit out of child molesters a very good idea. So it's... And then what does that say about me? So right. I'm full of shit because I'm all here saying, well, I got need to understand humanity and understand why people do what they do. I've sat across and talked to a child molester. And she said, I was molested. She? Yes. She, wow. She was molested as a child and then she began molesting. And then she got called out by a, a superior, um, you know, a person is whatever, like a, an adult. And... um they basically called her a rapist and she's like, uh, holy shit. I didn't have a name for what I was doing. And then she stopped because she didn't even know really that she was doing something bad. This was before she was, she was like 12 or something. So when is it okay to be a child molester? Well, was, never, <laughs> never. Of course not. No, I'm just, no, no I don't mean, I, I don't mean, okay. You know what I mean? Like, I know. I'm when, just joking. Yeah. What is, when is that? It's just such a complicated It thing. is complicated, but you can like, it, I feel like, you can trace, like when you're talking about, you know, voices and us all being humans, like you can trace most of these voices and these human faces to horrible things, pass them to systemic shit. Like with child molestation, I mean, you could attribute that to a grave, deplorable landscape for mental health where people who are molested as children are shamed because we shame victims of any kind of sexual assault absolutely and they don't feel safe to seek mental health because a they would have to admit that they were assaulted and feel the shame family member in trouble yeah i mean at the same time that like oh i just didn't have a word for what i was doing it's also a i feel very bad for her but at the same time she is also kind of just a statistic in a terrible system. Yeah. I agree. I don't know. The all lives matter thing, though. Yeah, it was interesting. But see, my dad's just... He's trying to elicit he, a conversation. No, yeah. No, when I, sure. I get that. Yeah. Anyone who... For me, anyone who doesn't believe that we have a society that systematically picks out people of color to to throw into jail, they're... They're completely unaware of. Oh, the prison industrial complex is a new form of slavery. That whole documentary, Thirteen. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I hear that it does a really amazing job of. of, If you didn't know, here is a very clear portrait of how we basically just redefined slavery. 
But at the same time, I don't know. I I I can't even talk to someone who believes all lives or, or who is part of the All Lives Matter movement. I. Yeah, and the, to me, that seems like a big F you to the whole it point. It is. I mean, because to me, Black Lives Matter, to be offended by that title, because what they're... I, I, I've been to many of their events. I am not part of any of their factions. Which, I do go black? to Surge meetings. Surge, okay. social... Yeah. Showing Up for Racial Justice is a great organization. If you're in Nashville, you should join. Um, but I'm hoping... 2017, I do want to get more involved and start being a... Less behind the computer screen and more I think that's great. in the world. But yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, it's just, to me, I've always taken Black Lives Matter as like kind of a part of a sentence that is, we are reminding you that Black Lives Matter because you forgot. You right. know, it's like no one forgot that white lives matter. No, <laughs> that's never been a question. <laughs> and when like, you might as well just put white instead of all. That's what they're really Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Or blue. Give me a break. Yeah. Well, I would not want to be a police officer. I'll tell you that right now. I wouldn't want to I be get a that. I wouldn't want to be a president and I wouldn't want to be a police officer. The shit and it bums me out to yes, there are dirty cops, absolutely, and that system is systematically racist. It's it's in you know, it's in there. It's so bad. But also there's a lot of great cops doing really great things. And don't nobody talks about that because nobody wants to hear good news. They only want to hear bad news. But thank God, because otherwise We'd have blinders about the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And it's fucking real. If I get pulled over by a police officer, I maybe will get a... I'll get, like, a warning. Maybe I'll get a ticket, but likely I'll get a warning. It breaks my heart. And if I were black being pulled over, forget about it. I'm probably out of the car. You are in danger of dying. Absolutely. I surged recently. I I think they're supporting... I forget the name of the exact committee or organization that put a light on it, but they looked into Nashville's racial profiling um and found terrible things yeah and i think it's called gideon's project you can look it up online but they put out a whole report about it and now there's going to be community meetings about it and city council meetings because these grass but it took grassroots people being like hey nashville's a progressive city we elected our first woman mayor last year she's done great things for our city and is is the daughter of gay men and is, I mean, just that progress for Nashville, I never saw coming. And that makes me really happy. Right. By the way, right. Chloe is a homegrown, right? You're, yes. You're I'm from, from here. here. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we still, you know, yes, she's implementing public transit that we need to get help foster social mobility. And yes, she gave a beautiful speech at the vigil that was held downtown for the Pulse victims about how Nashville was going to be a safe space for people of all kinds. And that is so important. But at the same time, she's not investigating her own Metro Police Department. And a bunch of, I think they're all, a lot of them, I know Anna Carella, who's an amazing mobilizing I don't know how she has time to do all the stuff she does, activist in Nashville. Um, and she's a doctoral candidate, I believe. I know she was on the committee. And it just, it, it astonished me that actual citizens had to do this work. Doesn't surprise me. Isn't that how it's always been done? Anyone that thinks your government is going to do things for you should wake up. And, and, yeah. And it's, it's always been done by citizens. That's how anything gets done. You have to handwrite your letters send them off you have to make phone calls you have to show up to the rallies you have to do this stuff i mean that's the way social justice has always been you know it's true it just surprised me that 
that national progressive is not so progressive. Exactly. Well, that, that it would just be so under the radar of what is being billed as like the most progressive administration in the city's history. Right. But you got to start somewhere, I guess. You do. That's true. I had a great conversation with Karen Lynch, who is one of San Francisco's first female police officers. And um, we talked about uh, the whole thing with the police officers and, and, you know, the black population and what happens when somebody who's black gets arrested or pulled over or, you know, any of that stuff. And uh, she said, man, you know, the police are terrified. They're terrified for their lives. I said, I get that. I do. I would, again, wouldn't want the job. It's incredible stress. But then take the fucking money and give it to the police officers for training, for understanding, for PTSD, for not fucking shooting first and asking. And then somebody would, I'm sure, or anyone listening might argue with me say, yeah, but if you know a kid pulls out a squirt gun that looks just like a semi-automatic, then of course. I'm like, you're going to shoot a six-year-old? Like, I think you can take on a six-year-old. And would you shoot a white six-year-old? Doubt it. Well, exactly. Dylan Roof, perfect example. If Dylan Roof had been a black person... He would be dead. We wouldn't be, be listening to him as fast no. racist. And anyone to argue that is just... Neo-Nazi stuff from the stand me, right now. Yeah. To me, it's anybody that doesn't believe that if he had been a black man, he would have been killed. It's Oh, so, if he was a black man shooting up a white church, they oh, would shoot him. He would have been dead. And yeah. arrest his family later. Yeah. Like... <laughs> exactly. But again, now here we are, two white chicks drinking red wine, talking about how fucked up the world is. And... And we'd get made fun of for that. I'm sure there's going to be people making fun of that because, you know, again, it's white privilege, right? We're white girls. That's what I'm saying. Filming a podcast. Recording. Recording a podcast, yeah. But you know what? Somebody's got to say it that isn't. You know, at the hands of the of the powers that be, if we like don't say it, maybe we won't get hurt. Have the conversations. And sure, make fun of us from either side. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people who want to shove a Buffy steak up my twat for being a feminist. But <laughs> I love Buffy. There's a great show. I do too. It's my favorite. I love that show so but, much. But um, no pe- not enough black people on Buffy. Yes, I know. Was there um, ever black people on There was like one vampire who got killed very quickly. Who was, it was a very white town. Sunnydale, California. Very white. But at the same time, we're having the conversations. We're disagreeing with each other. We're, Which is great. It is. We're talking And nobody's it thrown a punch. <laughs> it doesn't... It, I would never feel that way. You know, it's just no. like I've all, any friend of mine... like. One of my best friends in the entire world to loop it back around when the Caitlyn Jenner award. Yeah. He's white and gay. And we kind of got into an argument one night, not like a screaming match, but we got kind of heated with each other because he was very much on the other side of my stance on it. And ultimately, we both kind of walked away being like, at least we're willing to have that conversation Absolutely. and not just be like, fuck you, get out of my face. Like, and instead, really grapple with why I felt the way I did and why he feels the way he feels. And at the end of the day, recognize that it's a gray area. Yeah. Maybe you should just call this podcast gray area. Right? <laughs> Certainly gray matter being squished around. It, yeah, that um, I love... This is what I, I feel so much is missing from society anymore. And I don't know when it stopped. But it used to be people would come together who had differing opinions. And they would have discourse. And it would be intelligent, and people might get animated and enlivened, and you know. But nobody got enraged. Enragement had no. There was no 
no call for that because it was people actually discussing and respecting the other, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen anymore, which is a shame to me because you can't learn who you are without hearing who they are, I feel like. Yeah, I guess my break with that, I I, I agree. I agree, but at the same time, I do want to talk to the Grand Dragon and I do want to hear what he has to say. I don't respect him. Right. No, but do you respect his... his Humanity? No. No, 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 no. No, not that. No. Okay, well, here's a question. No, respect the the idea of sitting and having a conversation with somebody that you don't agree with. You respect that situation. I do. That's that's what I mean. 100% I I respect that situation. I could never do what you do, though, because... Well, I, I would want to make the Grand Dragon afraid of me. <laughs> right. I, I made a very conscious decision. I mean, I know where I stand. And, right. and And I knew that nothing I would say likely would change the way he felt about anything. However, there were a couple of moments in the conversation where he said, Huh. I never really thought about it like that. I'll have to think about that. And Interesting. I was like... Cheers. That was... <laughs> I mean... That's a big deal. Yeah. To me, that's a big deal. No, I think that's a huge deal. I, I, I can't wait to hear that episode. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's Okay, so while we're on the topic, one of the articles, when we're talking topic of racism, one of the articles that you wrote um, was about Coven. Yes. Yes. And you said that it was racist. I, I'm paraphrasing. That that's was not my, all she said. No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, well, unfortunately, I mean, I... I do not want to dog editors at all. They are a refinery factory that we writers depend on. However, at this point in internet culture and clickbaiting, most headlines, if y'all don't already know, I know you are aware of this, are not a reflection of the actual article itself. This is so to get you in there. The headline on the article I wrote was yeah. the extreme racism yeah. of American Horror Story Coven. Right. And I was like... Which, <gasps> I didn't, yeah, I didn't... When I read the article, I didn't feel like that was your stance. Yeah. So if that makes you feel any better. I it does. Because yeah. I, I remember the article coming out and just being like, oh, thanks for making my inbox a hellhole for yeah. the day. I understand SEO and clickbaiting. I mean, it's how they make money. It's how they pay us. But a lot of headlines are just so unfortunately misleading these days. I mean, my main point about it, and it was me making a point about how black people were represented in the show as a white person. So that's just my opinion. But I just felt like they took, and granted, my opinion has kind of evolved because this was three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I actually recently, most recently in terms of that whole realm, wrote an article in defense of like Scream Queens and Ryan Murphy's empire in general. At the time, I don't think they had established yet a lot of... Now, Scream Queens was kind of the... If you didn't it. get it, it's here is the point, which is... It's a lot of camp and taking cultural stereotypes and throwing it back in our face. Right, and, like Archie Bunker, like All in the Family. Yeah, Ahead of its time, as far as... You're not wrong. <laughs> um, but with American Horror Story Coven, I feel like it was their first foray into that camp. Like, the first two seasons had been straight horror for yeah. the most part. There was no playing with society's right. privilege and, and things like that. And for the Coven episode, I just feel like, you know, it was Angelica... or Not Angelica. Um, Angela Bassett. 
Yeah. Her character. Oh, God. She's amazing in it. But I was infuriated the whole time because her character, they're in New Orleans. Right. Which you're... This is what I was going to ask you because I got... I made it through halfway through that... I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. You're fine. I I made about halfway through that series and I was like, I'm bored and I stopped watching. So what year was that supposed to be set in? They flash around a lot. Yeah. They play with time quite a bit. It was supposed to be present day, but they also go back to like when the school first started and everything a lot. Um, and I'm pretty sure, I, I remember correctly, Angela Bassett's character is somewhat immortal. Mm. And so is Kathy Bates. Mm-hmm. So She's a nasty little bitch Oh, that. God. Ugh. And based on a real person. Yeah. Um, shock. Right? No, it's not a shock. <laughs> no, yeah. But it, I ended up researching that character after the show. I was just horrified. But Angela Bassett's character is this badass woman who... And they are confronting. I mean, there really is a. It, the show's about two kind, two versions of witchcraft: voodoo and white lady witchcraft clashing racially mm. and and culturally and ethnically. Mm-hmm. And that is interesting. And the show's campy, and it's mostly supposed to be horror, which is a campy genre. Yeah, absolutely. But at the end of the day, Angela Bassett's mm-hmm. character, who is so badass, ends up. Working or owning her own hair salon in the Ninth Ward, and they only eat fried chicken. And like Gabrielle Sidibe's character, when she like decapitates, just go with it. Yeah, <laughs> Kath, when she decapitates Kathy Bates, who's immortal, so her head is still alive. I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. She might have just had her chained up. I don't remember. I think she did take her head. Off. I think she I think did. I remember that. And. Her re-education of her is, like, making her watch Roots. And I'm just like, that great step. But at the same time, like, it was just like, can y'all give black people a real representation in this where they are not cartoons? Yeah. Because I didn't feel like the white characters were cartoons. They were mysterious, witchy. Like, Emma Roberts was kind of a cartoon of a sorority girl bitch monster who everyone loved. But... That was kind of idealized, whereas the black characters were more just like, oh, yes, they 100% fall into the stereotype, because why wouldn't they? Well, now, see, here's the good question. Like, what's the difference between a Norman Lear black character, right? He he created All in the Family and the Jeffersons and all that, right? And a Ryan Murphy black character. And it, it really, reading your article made me, which I love, this again speaks to how great a writer Chloe is because it made me think about this I I went I read the article and then I laid in bed for like two hours thinking about it which I was like it's just so fascinating and and what did it mean to me what did your words mean to me what did the the half the show I got through mean you know did I what do I think about Ryan Murphy's choices there because I I, honest to God didn't notice some of that stuff because you know I kind of watched it with a Well, and looking back, part of why I hated that title they put on the article is because they kind of, they lumped me into as like an authoritarian on the topic when really I was just trying to say, as someone who tries to be as aware of these things as possible, I was confused why this show just completely fell into what I consider a pitfall of racism and stereotyping. And at the same time, though, I believe Paul Hogbett... Angela Bassett and Gabrielle Sidibe and everyone else of color in that show was 100% aware of what was going on and was into it for some reason. I guess on my end, I just didn't understand what that right. reason well, was. Well, that was my question is that I wanted to ask you is when, like, for example, the fact that she was a hairdresser, 
in the ninth ward is that is that racist or is that just the reality that if she's a black woman in the ninth ward that she would likely be a hairdresser and that's what got me thinking it's like is it racist to think things are racist that was the question yeah. that popped in my head you I know, mean like, I guess my thing was just like it was just such a stereotypical hair salon too like yeah. Gabrielle Sidibe walks in and yeah. it's just like all like a movie from the 1970s and I get that being a style choice but what about that, and it that also movie about the barber shop a reality remember that that yeah. barbershop movie that was made almost entirely by black people and so is that stereotypical or is that just their culture? I mean, I think when it's made, you know, like Tyler Perry has made an empire of I love creating Perry, cinema for an, an art and entertainment that is honest and equally representative of a culture the same way white people have done forever. Yeah. Yeah. History of entertainment. And I think that's amazing. I guess... So when I think part of why it triggered me in American Horror Story was because if it had just been about, like, a black coven and it was like, we're flipping the racial script this season and all of those things were still true, mm-hmm. I would be like, okay, you're representing a certain part of society. But the fact that in order to display the conflict between the white and the black covens... Right. They had to go completely stereotypical for black people, but there was very little white stereotyping typing on the other side, yeah. outside of just like general whiteness. And which I in its own right is stereotypical, is it not? In a way, when it's the status quo, I think it it is stereo. It can be easily stereotyped, but stereotypes are weapons, and you can't really weaponize whiteness. You know, we <laughs> yeah took away people's ability to do that. Yeah. It is just, it's a, to me, that was the one thing that when I went, as I fell asleep, I thought, is it racist to think something is racist when it's just showing, and and I, I wasn't necessarily reflecting on the article you wrote, but just on, if you, I think the thing that stood out for me was the whole fried chicken and the, in the um, which is such a... Well, it's just like, I feel like if I talk to any of my black friends... None of the black people I know eat fried chicken, so I don't even well, know. Well, even if they do, it's like, why are you I, going yeah. there? You know, like, right. why go there? Yeah. And granted, New Orleans is a city that is proudly... I don't I'm, I don't know the actual demographic statistics, but I want to say, bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and bless New Orleans. It's my favorite city in the world. It is. A um, Best fish I ever had, New Orleans. <laughs> But I want to say it's predominantly a black city. I don't know. Statistically, I'm not sure. But regardless, I get it being set there and being like, fuck it, like, we're going to normalize stereotypes maybe by saying this is how we live and it's not a fucking stereotype, it's just a thing we do. Yeah. I get that. It's just the show, to me, didn't convey it that way. It it was a... For me, it was a crutch for a writer's room full of white people writing black characters. Yeah, it would be interesting to see... Like, how many of the writers were? are I think they're color? mostly white. Yeah, but I'm sure they probably are. I mean, in That's 2013 I about, in L.A., I'm pretty sure they yeah, probably all the were. Norman Lear, <laughs> who's, you know, a white Jewish guy, writing black characters that were fucking awesome. Like, if Good Times, All in the Family, The Jeffersons. If, if y'all listening haven't seen any of those shows, go watch them. They're so brilliant. So ahead of their time. Right. You know? I do think there's a problem with a white person writing black characters at that time, though, and because it was such well, a he wasn't fractured the only writer, time, obviously. you know, yeah. like that's why that kind of stuff happens. 
I don't know. I've I've had two glasses of wine. <laughs> God bless. Um, my mom comes out right, <laughs> and I'm getting very caught up in my thoughts between like. Because there is a line. I think you were getting at this earlier, too, of just, like, do we want a homogenous society? No. No. Boring. Boring, boring, boring. But where? what's the difference between, you know, getting to a point of diversity where we don't stereotype anymore and celebrating stereotypes as a form of diversity? Which is better? Good question. I don't know. I also was three years younger when I wrote that. It's not one of my favorite articles I've ever written. I I love reading um, it because, again, it made me think. And isn't that the whole reason for journalism of any kind? Is to get and entice the reader to then set down the article and sit and think about what they have read. I mean, for me, that's the whole point of reading anything. That makes me feel good about it. Yeah. I'll take it. I yeah, mean, I'll cheers you. Cheers. I'll cheers you. I mean, I think a lot of pressure... We've had a stressful conversation, but a lovely one at the same time. Um, I think a lot of, I don't know. I, I always say I wish I was born 20 years earlier because I would just have loved to have come of age and finished school and been around in the time of journalism 20 years ago. Hell yeah. Because at this point, there is so much pressure to put out content that is timeliness is my least favorite word in the entire world. It's like a constant editor buzzword because after about three hours that a story breaks, if you don't have something out, you're not running it. So you may have this brilliant take on something, but you work a day job or you don't work full time for this publication. So you're sending a freelance pitch that doesn't get read for a day. Yeah. And by the time they get back to you, they're like, oh, that was a great idea, but it's not timely anymore. And you're like, it's been 14 hours. Like, and so there's a lot of pressure too. I just think journalism, and I've done it as well, and mm-hmm. and been pressured by editors to do it, and pressured editors to let me do it at certain times. Where it's called a hot take, you know, where you basically just take the most controversial stance because it's going to get clicked on, and because it kind of overrides the timeliness factor. Sure. So it's just there's, I think there's brilliant journalism going on, and the flip side of the coin is that we are in an age where we're inundated with journalism, and that's amazing. But there's a lot less being strained through. Yeah. You know, it just all pours. Yeah. And, I mean, that's why this whole election was rifled with people not being able to tell the difference between a reputable news source I and know. a satire. I know. I know. That was so crazy. I did not think I would ever see the day where real people, <laughs> granted on computers, but real human beings, would post satire and have no fucking clue. What? Yeah. And it's just like 20 years ago that didn't exist. Satire was not clearly labeled, but it was just like news was news, criticism was criticism, arts was arts, and satire was satire. And there was no confusion about that. But I would argue that people in our day and age don't want to go, like, let's just say here's the line, and they'll just pick up whatever's sitting on the line and digest it, and that's as far as it goes. They won't think about it. It's terrible. I, I agree with you, but you're, but it's the reality is, uh, you know, intellect is vilified, right? Oh, yeah. Completely. So if, if you are curious and want to delve into something and want to, to challenge it, as we were talking about before, you and I don't agree on everything. That's a beautiful thing. Thank God. Yeah. You know, and if you, if you want to spend all the time around people who agree with you solely 100%, 
It's just getting hand jobs all day long. No, it is. I have a friend who adamantly, like, almost militantly, in the metaphorical sense of the word, is for Jill Stein. And it's created a huge riff in our friend group. Because, yeah, we give him shit for it. Because he refuses to back down now that we're in Trump land. You know? And it's like, can you just admit that Jill Stein might have had an effect on this election? And that Hillary is not the enemy you saw her as and espoused that she was just as bad as Trump and that you would give anything to have her as your president now. And he won't back down. And... I think it's because he surrounds himself a lot, or at least in his internet bubble, of just seeing this stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. And when he gets around real people who are like, I love you, and I see you, and I hear you, but can you just maybe grapple with us instead of wanting to shove your opinion down our throats? Is it his opinion, or is it Jill Stein's opinion? That's the other thing, too, is that uh, I have a friend, David, uh, who is great. He, He gets... I had posted something about having to pay a ton of medical bills. I don't have Obamacare. I never signed up for it because I have great insurance. I was grandfathered in. Do I believe that children should be insured? Absolutely. Does it make me crazy when some of my friends who spend $70 a night at the bar complain that they don't have health insurance? Absolutely. It's like, don't drink for one day, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, and take care of that, you know, abscess or whatever. But, um... He gets on there and he's like, all right, probably. And so I posted that and people started Obama carrying me to death. And I was like, I don't freaking, there's no way I posted that. Like my argument when I posted it was like, who are these seven doctors that saw my chart who then charged me $200 each time? I didn't see any of those doctors. And that's the thing that hospitals do. Mm -hmm. They pass around the things and then they get to charge more money, right? So... That's what I was complaining about. And then someone turned it into like, oh, well, the ACA and Obamacare and all that stuff. I'm like, uh, and I, I, had, I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to engage this, right? And I just said, I don't have that care. I have my own insurance. It wasn't about that. It was about this. And then David started challenging all these people saying, why do you think the way you think? Tell me what it is that gives you the opinion you have that's so anti-ACA. And no one was really able to answer him. Nobody have, can actually articulate why it is they don't like it. They just don't like it. Well, why don't you like it? Because you're racist. Um, <laughs> quite well, frankly. Um, you make $12,000 a year. You have diabetes. And I can get you free health insurance with a reputable company that's been around for 10 years through healthcare.gov, which is Obamacare. Do you want that? Or do you want to be uninsured or go straight through a carrier and pay roughly $500 a month for it because you're 50? Right. And they're like, oh, well, in that case. And it's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem with everybody. Once you educate yourself, which I, there's nothing in that arena, I'm like, I know what I'm talking about. I want to just carry signs walking or, you know, I just want to carry a big ass sign that says there's nothing wrong with knowing stuff. No, this pushback against, like, (laughs) this anti-intellectual pushback terrifies me. I mean, I mean, intellectuals are dicks. Let's be honest. Like, some of them are. They're dicks and they're pompous. They're dicks that have solved most of the world's problems. Sure. But that doesn't mean that if you're not a dick... That you can't know some stuff. That's all I'm saying. It's like, true. I know some stuff. I'm not a dick. Like, just fucking know some stuff. 
You know, just don't believe right. everything you're told. Challenge yourself. Yeah. I mean, that was like when I went to the new school, that was one of the biggest things. It was just like, if you have an issue with it, like, confront it. Yeah. Read about it. Not that, but read the other guy's opinion. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of reading the opposite opinion. And every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, that kind of makes sense. And now I'm that guy. You know what well, I mean? I think but- when you confront yourself and when you confront other people, I was doing a speculative piece for Rolling Stone a few months ago. It never ran because no one would talk to me. But it was about this faction of women on Twitter who want to have the 19th Amendment repealed. I'm sorry. What? Yes. Legitimate. Wait, let, me, let me pour some more wine for that. <laughs> what? Real, real women. The, the 19th Amendment. So the 19th Amendment the, gave... Right. Gave us the right to vote. We have the right to vote because of that amendment. So suffragists, look up suffragists. I, I actually really love Twitter as a writer as a tool to like. I mean, you really get to see what people think and what they think when they can be anonymous or untouchable, and it's fascinating to me, especially because I mean, I've had. So many people on there just get raped, cunt, like all this shit, and it fascinates me. And it's like, I love the word. This is interesting. (laughs) Tell me more about your life, Jimmy, in Wisconsin, who's seventeen. I mean, do you ask them? They have no. I stalk them back and just because it also it because it's terrible. I mean, it's it's sexual assault in 140 characters from a computer. I mean, people, and women even, telling me, like, you deserve to... I mean, it just... Awful, awful things. And I think most female writers have experienced it. It, It's nuts. But it makes me fascinated with Twitter. And so because of that, I have... They're MRAs, male rights activists. If any of you are listening, fuck you. Um, (laughs) I don't even know what an MRA is. An MRA, they're male rights activists, and it's the male reaction to feminism. Oh. That think that we're all misandrists trying to cauterize the balls of all See, but men to me, in that's America. Getting, that's not what feminism is. It's exactly. just it's equality. That's what it is. And they are vigilant. There are man hating feminists. There are. Of course there are, but they're just it's like not the main message of no, feminism. No. It's not the me- it's just period not the message of feminism. They are vigilant trolls. I mean I, Lindy last week I brought her up her book makes a great point because she actually I mean she was a writer for Jezebel and got supremely trolled where someone pretended to be her dead dad and started trolling her as her dead dad she's been through a lot in terms of that and she has some great perspective in her book but she ultimately can it's a great episode of This American Life Mm, she goes on there and they call the troll oh good and talk I mean it's long story short she kind of ends up coming to this beautiful point of view where it's like these people do this because they are super damaged sure anyone that spends their time being like someone that would stop and spend five minutes of their life telling you to get raped on twitter yeah that's, I feel bad for that person. Exactly. Like and she says that in her book, she's like, it's hard to be mad at someone that you feel sorry for. True, totally. And so I kind of take that perspective and just kind of dive in sometimes and read everything. And in researching MRAs and reading all of their stuff, I found this faction of women who not only agree with them, there's a big hashtag feminism is cancer is a big thing amongst only white women on there. Um, and most feminism is cancer. They're also, oddly enough, white nationalists most of the time. And 
proudly so, like websites with all the stuff, and repeal the 19thers. And so I pitched this, I was working with Rolling Stone on spec on this piece um, with a really great editor, and she, we wrote the piece up, and I didn't have any of their voices in it. I kind of was afraid to reach out to them because I'm like, they're not going to talk to me. They can scroll one page down my Kalanapa diary, which is what I call my Twitter, and realize, like, I'm not on your side. But at the same time, writing the piece, it was really meant to be like, this is a whole picture of these women and what they believe. It was not meant to be a takedown. But without their voices in it, the editor was like, it's kind of a takedown. So she was like, seek them out. So I probably contacted 50 of these women really friendly, you know, I genuinely want to give your movement a voice because I think it is fascinating that a hundred years after we've gotten the right to vote, you genuinely want it taken away from you, you know, and you're also pro-Trump or you're a babe for Trump. And what does your white nationalism have to do with your not wanting women to vote? What is it? What is their argument for not wanting to be able to vote? Uh, None of them would talk to me. Oh. So I don't know. So yes. we ended up pulling the piece because just literally no one. Why do you think that two, is? Were they afraid to be? I think when you're confronted with how terrible your point of view is sometimes, like, and I wasn't even confronting them. My emails were all very, like, I just genuinely, this piece, because at that point we had decided the piece was going to run regardless, but it would be way better with their voices in it. So I kind of gave them I that choice. I was that. like, this sure. is going to run. Yeah. And I think it will, do you want a voice in it or not? And right. I think it would be great. And I really genuinely want to talk to you and understand. Mm-hmm. Two girls email me back. Oh. Women. Out of probably close to 50 that I could find their emails, track them down. And I get, I probably went to some spam folders. I also ignore unsolicited emails all the time where I'm like, I don't need to read this troll today. Delete. But one was just like, kind of, what do you want? And another sent me a thoughtful email back and was just like, I'm really excited to talk to you about this. I think it is a fascinating movement and I'm really excited that a writer wants to hear us out. I'll talk to you. And I sent her, I was just like, thank you so much. I sent her a huge list of questions that like, we're all very general, just like, because this is before the election. So I was like, you know, I, you want your vote repealed. And this specific one was very pro-Trump on her Twitter profile. So I was like, how do you reconcile being for a candidate but not wanting to be able to vote for that candidate? That's you know, a good things question. like That's that. That's a really good question. There's things that, like, we're not accusatory or trying to humiliate anyone or debase her opinion, but just really, like, curious, like, yeah, yeah. how does this function for you? Right. And what That's good has informed your life to get you to that point? Sure. Never responded to my questions. And I just think genuinely hateful people or people who want to defy progress when they're genuinely confronted with what that actually means. It would be interesting to write her back now and say, look, the peace is not a thing, but I'm curious. I did. Okay. Nothing. Nothing. Rats. Yeah. I hate it when people don't answer. That's I know. I'm just like, at least tell me to go fuck myself. Yeah. I, that's, one of my, <laughs> that's one of my pet peeves. Tell me no. Tell me yes. Tell me fuck off. Tell me I'm busy. But don't ignore me. That's annoying. And it's rude. It is. It's rude. But whatever. See, you know, we're covering all these things I had questions about and I love it because it just happened naturally. <laughs> but I'm going to look at my notes really okay. quick, uh, quickly. Um, uh, we talked about the random team here. Okay, <clears throat> here's one. There was somebody that tweeted, 
when I was X years old, I was raped. Uh, does any other woman... This is when Trump... When it was the locker room talk situation with Trump. And, um... <clears throat> And it was like, uh, if anybody else has had this experience, please respond via Twitter. And this woman who had tweeted that, uh, and I can't remember her name because it was a billion years ago, it feels like now, but um, she got over a million tweets within 24 hours or something extraordinary. And I talked to my father and I told him that. And he said, that's just crazy. Is that, is that even, how is that even possible? I said, daddy? I'm going to school you for a second. I said, this is not going to feel good, but I'm going to just tell you. I said, from age six, the last thing that, you know, at age six, I remember mom's best friend's son. I'm six or seven years old. We went to go visit their family. And the son, who's 20, took me into his room and showed me his porn collection and had me sit on his lap and look at porn. Did he touch me? No, not that I recall. But how inappropriate is that? So that's the first thing I remember. I said, Dad, and from there, I remember at eight being at the water park in the wave pool and having some guy stick his toe in my badge in the wave pool. I remember that. Let's flash forward. And so I started saying, and I came up with at least a dozen experiences that I had. Did I ever tell anyone? No. Looking back on it, would it have made a difference if I, I mean, what, some random dude in a, Water park stuck his toe inside my bikini, you know, and I'm a child. No, you're not supposed to understand. Yeah. You're not supposed to have to. Right. And, like, all the way up but to college. But the sexualization of children, of young well, girls. Well, and females. I was trying yeah. to just, like, Dad, this is real. I said, every woman I have ever met, with this is not hyperbole, every woman I have ever met from a very young age all the way through adulthood has been the subject of unwanted sexual advance, catcall, attempted, if not rape, if not this, if not that, if not this, if not that. And beyond that, something I've come to terms with in my own grappling, like you said, literally every woman. I've never encountered a woman who hasn't experienced some level of sexual assault far beyond catcall. Yeah. But at the very least. Absolutely. But... Usually far beyond. So why are we considered like full of shit? And what, and the other question I have is why are other women going, you know, suck it up? I'm like, what? What? Now, and what? And then the argument of why are you why are you not talking about it? Well, first of all, who's gonna a believe you? Who's gonna care? You know, when I was in tw- when I was twenty, I was almost I was almost sexually assaulted by uh, a guy, and the only reason I swear that I got away was because I'm six foot one. It's the only, I mean, he pushed me so hard. I fell down. I still have scars down my back from it. Like into, I was in a bathroom. He broke open the bathroom door. This was the boyfriend of my roommate who was cheating on her. And I told my roommate and she then told the boyfriend, oh, Susan said that you're cheating. Cause I knew the girl he was cheating with and he was a scumbag anyway. And then one day I came home from school and he was in my house waiting for his girlfriend and I was in the bathroom didn't think anything of it I didn't like the guy you know I didn't engage him or anything like that I just went to the bathroom and he came into the bathroom and he's like I'm gonna teach you a lesson you talking shit about me blah, blah, blah. shoved me so hard I went flying into the shower right the the knobby thing the bathtub knobby thing mm-hmm. just ripped down my back 
And in my brain, in that moment, I thought, I'm a, he, he's about to rape me. Like, yeah. I knew. Like, it was clear what was about to happen. And <clears throat> all I could think was, get as big as you possibly can. And I jumped up, and I just puffed out as big as I could, and I just fucking barreled. And I ran. And I told her about it. She, she told me I was a liar. And that was and that. And I said, to them ever again. yeah, it's like, like, enjoy your rapist husband. He will probably fuck your kids up. Yeah. It's like, and I'm that, so sorry that, that happened that, well, you know, God, but the damn. thing is, is that I have friends who've been kidnapped over a weekend and raped for a whole weekend, drugged and raped for a weekend. And then like, then they escaped. Like I know people like that. And when people think, oh, the statistics are, and we've gotten kind of heavy all of a sudden, but the statistics you know, one in three, that's bullshit, or one in five, that's bullshit, you know, those numbers are padded by so-and-so. I don't know if they are or not, because I'm not running around asking people if they've ever been raped or attempted raped, but I know in my own experience, and thank God nothing ever went past anything, but, I mean, I sat there and wrote down a list after during that Trump situation, during that locker room talk situation, I was like, what can I remember? And I wrote down everything. I'm like, Jesus, this is a long-ass list. And then I thought about my friends and all their situations that I knew about. And I thought, well, I'm not it's surprised a million real. people tweeted that lady back. I mean, I think my boyfriend and I, he struggles with me sometimes because I am an ardent feminist. And I'm unrepenting in it. And... He does have this one opinion in which, and my comedy does kind of affect him sometimes because I do shit on white guys a lot, but it's a joke. You do. <laughs> but my opinion on it is how long have us women have to have to have sat through get in the kitchen, make me a sandwich jokes and rape is funny jokes. Yeah. Decades. Yeah. I'm going to talk about whatever the fuck I want to talk sure. about. And, it, and in a way, it's not just comedy. For me, it's kind of an act of protest. I kind of marry... My writing, my comedy, my activism together. For me, that's how I operate. Um, but he takes it to you sometimes. He's just like, you sleep next to a white cisgendered heteronormative man every night. And you shit on them on stage. And that's I'm like, I shit on rapists. And I shit on sexists. Do they happen to often frequently be white cis heteronormative men? Yes. But... Do you think I'm harboring some ill will for you secretly? Like, I'm like, mm. I consider you a feminist. That's a really good like, question. Like, why do you... I, men talk shit on women all the time and then are allowed to turn around and say, I don't hate women. And I'm like, I can't talk shit on the society uh, the double of standard is, misogyny. Yeah, it's And it not be taken personally by my fucking boyfriend. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I think there's just a lot of psychological warfare as well. Like, there's the actual fact that most women have been sexually assaulted in... Some way or form. Some way. Yeah. That is far worse than you probably think it is. Yeah. And then there's the fact on top of that, like, I was, I lost my virginity being raped. And it was a situation in which I was seeing the guy. My best friend was seeing his best friend. And they, my best friend was four years older than me. So I was 16 and she was in college. So also there was that gap where it was like... I should have picked a different friend. Granted, we're still very close, and she has apologized for this, but at the time, like, I look back, and I'm like, if I had been 20, I pray to God I wouldn't have been dragging around a 16-year-old to, like, sexual parades. 
And we had this night where she was going to meet up with her boyfriend. I was going to meet up with mine, who was my secret boyfriend at the time, who was 24. Sure. 10 years or 8 years older than me. And we did this trade-off where, like, they went and, like, had crazy sex in the bathroom and then left us to do whatever we wanted. And I trusted this guy. And we were really drunk. My parents didn't know. No one knew where I was. And... I told him, I don't want to have sex with you. I'm a virgin. I don't want this. And he held me down and he did it anyways. And just realizing later on how much that fucks you up as a person. Like, I think that's part of what is so insulting at rape victim shame and rape victim non-believing is like, this is not a story we're telling for our fucking amusement. It's because this sticks with you for the rest of your goddamn life. Absolutely. I remember, like, being so fucked up with guys. My current boyfriend is the most healthy sexual relationship I've ever had. And I remember when we first got together, like, him saying something along the lines of, like, not in a creepy way. Like, it was kind of in passing. We might have been having an... I forget what the conversation context was. But it was something along the lines of, like, you do these things to bring one another pleasure. And I remember, like... The concept being absolutely foreign to me and having my mind just like having this alien moment where you just like between dimensions of your past and present and are like, oh my God, like that experience fucked me up so much emotionally that I forever connected sexually satisfying with my self-worth, with my emotional worth, with what someone else perceived as my worth that I forgot that you're supposed to be making me feel good because you like me. Right. I'm not supposed to be putting up with this so you like me. Right. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Like. Did you do therapy after that? Oh, God, I've never been to therapy. No way. And it needs to happen. It does. I can recommend some great. And one in particular, there's a therapist here in Nashville that is bar, bar none. She's, she's the shit. No, deaf therapy in the future. Yeah. I'll give you that number. So now we've been talking about rape for about 30 minutes. If you're still with us, I hope you're eating a large pizza. And... All right. We, we won't. Okay. The, the comedy. All right. So your comedy is political. It's emotional. But it's also, it's funny too. So you, your wax story was really funny. I enjoyed it. I try to keep it light. The way yeah. I perceive it is kind of like I want to talk about female issues the same way with the same... I don't give a fuck and there's nothing telling me I can't say this that a man does. Right. And that's gotten me in trouble and it's gotten me banned from shows and banned from people and what have you, but I'm like, good. I'm yeah. not I'm not for you. Yeah. So and that's cool. okay too. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, that's the moral of at least this podcast is everybody else. What they think, none of your business. Yeah. All you can do is be true to who you, you are. You don't want to invite me to be on your show because I'm a woman and it scares you? Cool. Yeah. You don't want to listen to my stand-up? Fine. Yeah. Like, I don't want to listen to a lot of stand-ups. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all fascinating. I, I have truly enjoyed talking to you. I knew this was going to be great and super interesting. And if we've lost everyone around the first hour, that's okay, too. But thank you. I... I love it. It's great. Thank you for having me. This has been actually a really cathartic conversation. Oh, well, good. A lot of waffles. Chloe's still well. You can Google her name and you will come up with, on YouTube, you'll get her stand-up. You'll get a lot of articles. Troll her on Twitter. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Troll what, me. I'll email you. What is you. your Twitter? Give, give. My Twitter is at winemom. 
But the I is a one, the number one, and the O is a zero. Yeah, that threw me off the other day, by the way, when I was trying to... It's rough, but it's fine. But on uh, heyhumanpodcast.com, I'll have all the links and all that stuff, so... Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. Bye!